Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you figure out what you can do better than anyone else. My guest this week is Ritika Saraswat, and she is the founder of Redefined, which is an organization focused on fostering inclusivity and recognizing diversity. I got to talk with Ritika all about her work with students and people from marginalized communities and non-traditional backgrounds. So without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Ritika Saraswat. So my name is Ritika. I came to Canada about six years ago. I came to Canada as an international student, you know, a classic South Asian kid wanting to become a doctor and change the world. But I think I very soon realized that, hey, there are other ways of doing it. It's not just by becoming a doctor and studying science. So I think I just kind of kept myself open to opportunities when I moved to Canada, you know, because you get so many kind of uh, variabilities and diversity and things you can pursue. And that's when I really started like looking at the business side of things. So it happened by coincidence where one of my friends wanted me to fill in for a case competition for her once. And oh my God, once I did it, I was like, this is amazing. You know, I absolutely fell in love with business, started exploring that side more. I don't know how time flew by. And then I did two years working as a freelance consultant in startups and nonprofits across Canada and the US. Before that, I had started already volunteering since the age of 10. So if you just, I'm 23 now. So if you can estimate, I have so many years of experience in the social impact space. And then I also worked in the higher, educa uh, higher education space for a year where I was helping UBC, UFT develop kind of like mentorship programs for international students. So while I was doing that, I kind of realized a, a gap that exists in the education market, whereby if you are not necessarily a business student or come from a business background, you aren't thought about networking you aren't thought about linkedin what is personal branding what is self-advocacy that's not something that's taught to you even a lot of my courses for example never had presentations they always had you know you just come give an exam and you leave so i never felt like i was being developed for the real world uh you know which looks quite different than academia you know so that's when i felt like okay i need to do something about this so redefine was actually born out of that and also a combination of other kind of struggles and challenges i faced as an international student not necessarily coming from the best of the best economic backgrounds, you know, having those legal liabilities and restrictions at times as well and living in that constant fear of like, you know, am I fitting in versus am I not this and that, you know, like the cultural shock, etc. So the Redefine was started with the whole idea of helping individuals from marginalized communities, including BIPOC community and international students redefine themselves, redefine their capabilities beyond any kind of judgments and opinions others have so that they can come to realize who they truly are, wh where their potential lies and what are dreams they want to pursue and not let anyone else define that for themselves so that was the whole idea and to kind of further that we basically started by providing individuals with access to real-time education which as i call it which is more of the practical education based on experiential learning giving students opportunities irrespective of their educational background uh, experience level uh, just to kind of put themselves out there just to kind of gain those skill sets uh, because i think learning happens only when you're uncomfortable so we are hoping to provide them with those situations so we started off with like a city in canada that is vancouver we're now based in three cities here, which is Vancouver, Toronto, and Halifax. We also then expanded our work to outside of Canada, where we started working with uh, India, for example, like a few cities there. And even within Africa, we started working with Ghana, Nigeria, and Uganda to also provide this further, create more accessibility as well. Because we know that obviously everyone coming to Canada is privileged enough 
not everyone is privileged, but privileged enough to get access to certain opportunities. So then we started catering to more of the underserved and underprivileged communities as well abroad uh, by providing them with free access to education and even resources, whether it be menstrual products, whether it be uh, any educational resources like a computer for schools. I mean, we don't do it a lot because we have limited budgeted uh, finances, but like even textbooks, notebooks, uh, one of the schools in Ghana where we cater to about 500 schools, that was one of our biggest projects. We had to, uh, we helped them put together tables and chairs because they didn't have that in the schools, you know, to kind of also encourage students. So overall, I would say is just helping redefine education and what youth capabilities mean, because we believe that they are the change makers of today and not tomorrow. That was a very long introduction. Oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was a great introduction. And I love that you started off by giving me so much background on who you are and your work with Redefined. So I'm really interested in this shift that you made from wanting to be a doctor to becoming more interested in business and then, of course, really committing yourself to that career path. Can you tell me more about what inspired you to make that decision and just really take that leap into a completely different fields and career path than the one that you had originally envisioned for yourself? Yeah, I think a lot of us actually come with preconceived notions about what is successful, what's not, what's going to work for us, what's not. And, you know, coming from the culture I was in, which is South Asia, um, obviously, you know, you have particular streams which are dedicated as, you know, this is what will help you get a stable job. That idea behind even a stable job, that kind of, you know, cultural norm that exists today kind of pushes us sometimes to pursue careers that we don't necessarily, uh, where our passions don't necessarily align, you know. And I knew, yes, my passion was always to give back to the community. My passion was to create an impact from a young age I was told by my teachers and my like parents in a certain way not in a forceful manner but that hey one way to do that is by becoming a doctor so I just went with that but I think when I got the opportunity to expose myself to different things uh, try on different experiences I realized there are other ways of creating the impact and impact doesn't mean changing the world overnight right it could also mean a simple thing as taking a step at a time which can lead to an impact down the line so I think those realizations just helped me realize that okay you know it's about figuring out what works for you and then leveraging that best to then impact others as well because if you aren't satisfied if you can't show empathy uh, respect for yourself you cannot do it for anyone else you know so if you're happy about what you do you will provide others with happiness as well so I just, just simply realized that and I was like following my heart moving in that direction but I was also strategic about it so and one last thing I would say is like even though I went from kinesiology to consulting, you know, like a business route and even started up becoming a founder, I would say I still leverage that knowledge. I think I just decided not to necessarily, um, actually, I would say I didn't, I decided not to necessarily leverage the knowledge, but the way I apply that knowledge was something that was different. You know, while 98% of my class was leveraging it by becoming a physiotherapist, I decided to leverage it is by in a different way, you know, bring that empathetic leadership to consulting and to business. That's so interesting. And I think that's a great way to look at situations. You can make the most out of the opportunities that you have and really leverage those opportunities in the best way for you. And I think you're definitely proving that with this work you're doing. So I would love to know more about Redefined as well. It looks like there's a lot going on with the organization. And I'd love for you to tell me more about the programs and the work that you're doing with Redefined. Yeah, I would say it's a bit all over the place as well, which is not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> but I think it's just like, you know, there's just so much to do. Right. Um, and you just feel like you're not doing enough at times. Uh, but I would say it's like there are a couple of things that we do. Right. Um, as I said, the two main approaches for us is the 
quality education piece, the SDG4 core, which is our key, key priority for everything, because I think education is the root cause for a lot of issues that we experience today, whether it be climate and sustainability, even inequalities that exist, poverty, etc. So that is our key piece. And the second one is those resource provisions, you know, necessary resource provisions. So I think one way in which we pursue that access to education is by providing a lot of those workshops that happen in multiple ways, right, whether it be hybrid, in person, virtual completely, printouts as well, because a lot of the regions we work within, they don't have Wi-Fi either. So the only way we can access them is maybe contacting one person, maybe in that entire area who has little bit of also, let's say, access to Wi-Fi. They print those things out, then take it to the interior villages where they can then teach students either using a blackboard or by just using those printouts, you know. So providing educational workshops and these workshops are not academic workshops to be mindful of. These are more so workshops that are more practical education piece. What I mean by that is we know so many people today who are educated or receiving education, but things they're not taught about in schools is around sexual and menstrual education, for example. Oh my God, I cannot tell you how much of like illiteracy exists among this, amongst that topic, not just in developing and underdeveloped countries, but even in developed countries, like even places like Canada, for example, we have noticed schools where that education is not as readily provided. And that can lead to a lot of mishaps later on for a lot of students, right? Because they're unaware of so many things, you know? So I think that is one area we do is so sexual and menstrual education, awareness around sexual abuse is a huge one for us, especially recently with the focus on consent as well. What does it actually mean? You know, how do you take consent from someone? Uh, so, you know, those things. Uh, then, then we also move on to a bit of the skill building. Uh, workshops. This would include building leadership skills, networking, communication. Then we also put more of to like um, around financial literacy. Climate and sustainability is a big one as well. Health literacy is something we're recently looking into to kind of educate schools around what are the nutritional needs of every student. And even if from a younger age, we can get students more aware is that, hey, if you eat this, this is the kind of results you're going to see for yourself. Even physical literacy is something we're looking to venture into. We haven't yet. But, you know, I think those are such key components. So we're basically hoping to target the youth at those earlier ages so that very early on we can set the base for them being able to not just feel confident in their bodies themselves both mentally and physically but also feel confident in applying their capabilities in whatever way and form they like even if it's out of the box thinking uh you know so an ideal world for us would be where teachers don't have to tell students that hey you need a 97 percent to be successful in life because i think success looks very different for everyone and everyone's learning styles are different you know so individualized um workshop provision is the main thing uh, and added on with that is resource provision. So any underserved or underprivileged communities we work with, you know, whether it be textbooks, notebooks, as I said, a lot of communities don't even have access to pads. For example, they use cloth, which we know is so super unhygienic. So either we teach them how to make pads properly out of cloth, because we have collaborated with a few organizations that are experts in that space, and we provide them with a video online to learn how to do it. That also gives them an income source sometimes, because they can now sell those pads at a cheaper price than the market price. You know, so it gives them employment to women but at the same time helps them use things that are more sanitary um so i would say those would be the main ways that's really interesting so as far as figuring out what communities need and how to best support them what does that process look like every person every community every area has different needs as as you were mentioning so i'd imagine it's tough but also so important for redefine to tailor the support and the resources that you offer through these different projects how do you find and then connect with people who are really on the ground and living in those communities to make a plan for how to create and implement these projects yeah i'll tell you a lot of people don't know this but a lot of our organization um, started off at least for the first six months of our organization operating. I was like a one-man army. 
operating the organization in so many different places. And I think what seemed best to me then, and I feel like we've tried to carry this forward as well, is finding one person of contact. Networking is key to this as well. You know, people sometimes think networking is just for getting a job. No, it's for every single thing you can imagine today. And I think networking was key to our organization. Like even now, if you ask us, what is our asset? Our asset is the connections and the collaborations and the partnerships we have. Our entire year, we haven't fundraised money like or necessarily applied for grants yes we did do gofundmes and other things but at the first six months we never even had to raise money we could run everything just by collaborations whether it be food drive you know clothing drive anything at all and you know it was just running through those so i would say first was just that part of like networking and coming across either other potential organizations in those cities because we aren't the subject matter experts right so we find the subject matter experts to come on board with us and help us get access to those communities. So we find those local individuals there based in those cities or based in those villages where we're trying to get into contact with, set up a good relationship with them, you know, speak to them over a period of time. Once we have that good connection and relationship established, propose to them the idea that, hey, this is the work we do. Would you love to do it together? Would you be that person, that main person for us to communicate things with, who can tell us the realities of those villages, who can tell us the realities of the cities? What are the needs? And this takes time because you need that person. You need someone you can trust, right? What if someone tells you, hey, I need $100,000 to do this and that? And they keep money with themselves, right? So I think that would be first key. Second is we always partner with organizations in most of the work we do. So whether that be an organization based in that locality where we're hoping to create an impact, in addition to just that single individual from the community, also a potential organization that does work there, or it could be an organization, let's say, currently based in the region I'm in, or even from, let's say, India or anywhere else, who can help us with a lot of the online provision of resources or help us putting things together? Because I think two forces is always better than one, right? So any of those areas, the seven areas I mentioned, the sex ed and the other ones, we obviously are not experts in every area, right? So we bring in organizations for these different areas to come together with us to create content for the workshops which we then have like online in Google folders. And then depending upon the organization, we the school or the university or the village that we're working with, or even the slums that we're working with in India, we get in contact with the local people, show them that PowerPoint once in the local language. We ask them, does this make sense to you? Is this going too much overboard? Is this something you think people are not going to appreciate? Because especially with sensitive topics like sexual and menstrual education being a big one, like recently we're doing one in India. They said that in the slums, they said, oh, you cannot bring a pad and show it in front of people on how you put it to yourself. Or you cannot bring a tampon either. So, you know, those specific things, only a local person can tell you. Google cannot tell you that. So I would say like those few things. That's really interesting. And I think it's exciting that you get to talk with people on the ground and really gauge their needs in order to make the most effective impact. So I have one more question for you. Lots of young people, especially high school students, college students, want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? I would say just get started. I know it sounds very con uh, counterintuitive, but it's true. Um, like, let's say with any initiative, I'll tell you, like at least from a personal level as well, and anyone we bring on board within our organization, I give them full ownership and leadership. And I think that's the most difficult part. When you give someone a lot of freedom to do things, that's when it becomes more challenging for them to execute something because they don't have an idea. But I think that process of figuring out how do you get started on something is most important. So I would say just get started by maybe instead of always wanting to start your organization, identify a cause or a passion you associate yourself with the most, right? And then second step would be identify organizations that are currently doing uh, impact in those areas, right? It doesn't have to be the topmost organization from the UN, et cetera, right? Identify those small to early stage nonprofits that are doing that work 
collaborate with them or not just collaborate, sorry, work with them, right? As a volunteer, maybe in a leadership position with them, you know, work for a few months, get an understanding of how does it internally work. And if you feel what you plan on doing is different. See, I think any startup or even nonprofit, you don't have to be out of the world kind of an idea. As long as you can do one thing, five to 10% better than anyone else, start your own organization. You know, if you can do that better thing, now you have a value proposition for yourself. So start something separately then. And once you know how the internal mechanics work, you can very easily set something up and never spoil your relationships with right, the other organizations. Once you form your own, tell them, hey, can we collaborate together? I would love to have you as my first collaborator to start with. So now once you set up your organization, you already have the first person to collaborate with. You already have an idea that, hey, I'm going to impact 50, 50 people through this first initiative. And, you know, you are more confident now once you have set it up and you, you have set up those relationships as well. So I would say that would be a great way to start. And third is be aware, keep networking, right? Keep talking to people. Hey, this is what my passion is. This is what I hope to do. You never know what someone's working on. They're going to be like, hey, I have this opportunity. Do you want to come be a part of it? Like Redefine, for example, we are running a social impact fellowship program right now, which is for all youngsters. Doesn't matter if you're a high school, undergrad, postgrad, anyone who's interested in social impact, but does not know where to start, come join this program. It's a three-day event followed by a two-month project that people enter into a social project that they do now by the end of the project you know exactly you have got mentorship from these social entrepreneurs across the globe on how they started their nonprofits, how they're doing the work how do you take leadership over a social project how do you execute it how do you get into contact with those communities you have learned that over two months now now when you finish at the end of two months not only have you formed connections with those potential nonprofits now who you can later on have collaborations with but you already have the skill sets now that you need to get started so yeah, a win-win situation. <laughs> I really enjoyed this conversation with Ritika, and I think her path to making change has been an exciting one. She went to university with an idea of how she could make the world a better place as a doctor, and now she's pursuing a career in business and is the founder of a nonprofit working in communities across the world. I think Ritika's advice for making change was spot on as well, as far as just getting started, collaborating with others, and then if you feel like there are ways that you could be using your time and your talents to make change in a different way, branching out to start your own project. I think Ritika's work is a testament to this advice and a great example of how change comes when you figure out what you can do better than anyone else. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Ritika on Instagram at Ritika to get connected with her. You can also check out Redefined on Instagram at Redefined Canada to learn more about the organization. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then... Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.